David has gone to the battlefield uh, where Israel and the Philistines are on opposite sides of a mountain. And when he gets there and begins to inquire about the situation, and they tell him what's under consideration, that the enemy has a giant by the name of Goliath who's issued out a, a challenge to the Israelites, we find David responds with a question. He says, is there not a cause? Now, there was a very important cause on that occasion. The Philistines were constantly the enemies of the Israelites. And being an enemy of the nation of Israel made you an enemy of God. God himself had told Abraham, I will bless those that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. And Goliath was issuing out curses. And he was mocking the Israelites, etc. But David said, is there not a cause? Well, the true and living God's name is being blasphemed. There was a cause, a very important cause. And of course, David answered the call to that cause. And we know that he went out a little later and he took five smooth stones and he slung one. And as they say, he rocked Goliath to sleep. But that sleep was a sleep of death. And he hit him in the forehead and slew him. Now, David is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in many, many different ways. The Lord Jesus Christ came to the world because there was a cause. Now, in John 18, 36, we find a, the a ruler Pilate asked Jesus a question. He said, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered like this. He says, To this end was I born, and for this cause I came to bear witness of the truth. And he that saw the truth heareth my voice. Maybe that's not the answer you would have thought Jesus would have given. It's not the answer I thought he would have given. I'd have thought he'd have probably said something about his redemptive work, something about him coming to save his people from their sins, and that's certainly all true. And that is, I think, the greatest cause, obviously, that we could ever speak about or consider, that Christ came to save his people from their sins. But Christ said, to this end was I born. Here's why I came to the world. Now remember, Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father except by me. He was truth personified. He said, for this end was I born, and for this cause I came to bear witness of the truth. And he was the truth. He bore witness of himself, you see. But he's speaking this to Pilate specifically. So Pilate asked him the question, Art thou a king then? And this is the answer that the Lord Jesus Christ gave. And he ends it by saying, He that's of the truth, that is, of me, heareth my words. Now, I don't want to really speak to you about the subject of cause this morning. I want to speak to you about the word because. Okay? And uh, my mind kind of got on this uh, when I spoke to you last Sunday from Daniel chapter 6. And I told you that God delivered Daniel from the den of lions for two reasons. One was the fact that Daniel had more work to do. God had more for Daniel to do, so he was not going to let him be slain by the lions in that den of lions. Number two, he delivered him to give a display of his power. And uh, it glorified God in doing that. But in verse 23, you'll read this. It says, Daniel was delivered from the den of lions because he believed in his God. Now, we notice the word because here. Uh, I was pretty much amazed to find that the word because 
is written over 1,200 times in the Bible, over 900 in the Old Testament, over 300 in the New. See, so, well, Brother Lawrence, why, why is that so important? Because when you see the word because, that what follows that is an answer or a statement about what has just gone before the word because. It's going to enlighten you as to the reason of what was just been written or what was said. And it's usually very simple. It's usually very short. And if you will just pay attention to the word because, it will enlighten you on many different things. For example, look at man's depravity. When you study man's depravity, we find the Lord making this statement in John 8, 43. He asks a question, why do you not understand my speech? He says, because he's going to give you the reason. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my words. Now, Jesus Christ, without a question, I think is the most uh, articulate person who ever walked the shores of time. The Lord never used bigger words than he should have used. He never used smaller words than he should have used. He never spoke longer than he should have spoke. Never spoke shorter than he should speak. He always had the right words for the right occasion, the right time. I mean, nothing was ever out of place, was it? If, if you couldn't understand what Jesus said, you couldn't understand what anybody says, unless what he was saying unto you had spiritual implications. So he says, why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. In verse 47, he says, He does of God heareth God's word, but you hear them not because you're not of God. See, the word because here, you're going to get an explanation. You're going to get a reason as to what he just said here. So if people would just pay attention to the because, they would understand a lot more about the cause. All right? Now, 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because he cannot know them, because they are spiritually discerned. He says, now the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Now, whatever you want to put in the category of the spiritual things of God, it would be the written word of God, it would be the gospel, it would be spiritual conversation, all the things connected with the Lord, prayer, etc. The natural man does not receive that. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, why? Because they're foolish unto him. Because, that's why, because they're foolish unto him. Neither can he know them because, again, they are spiritually discerned. So that word because will help us understand something about our human nature, something about our depraved condition, if we'll just pay attention to what the because is, okay? Now, just some other things, for example, that are pretty, pretty simple, such as James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, verse 3, James says, Ye receive not, here it comes, because you ask not. Now, is that hard to understand? Somebody said, I just can't understand the Bible. I think you can understand that. You receive not because you ask not. Now, when I was growing up, I received a lot of times, I received not even though I asked. <laughs> and um, I'd always go to dad because if I went to my mother to get, to get uh, something, I would never get it. So I always went to him. I knew who to go to. But even then, I remember one time I went to him and I approached him and I said, now I, I got to ask something, Daddy. I said, now I know you're going to say no. He said, well, don't ask me then. <laughs> so I said, well, let's back up and start over. <laughs> James says you receive not because you ask not. Now, I just said in 1 Corinthians 2.14, for the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. That's a different uh, 
uh, situation. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolish unto him. That's why. But James has something else under consideration. He says, you receive not because you ask not. How many times have we failed to ask? God desires for you to ask him. He's your heavenly father. He doesn't mind you coming to him and asking him. Asking him for help. Asking him for strength. Asking him for comfort. Asking him for compassion. Asking him for wisdom. Asking him for knowledge. Asking him for understanding. Asking him for guidance and leadership. That's just a small list I just gave you. <laughs> okay. And then he says this. But you receive not because you ask amiss. That you might... Ask it, you know, concerning the lust of your flesh. You ask for the wrong purpose. You ask with the wrong motive. You ask for carnal reasons. You ask for selfish reasons. So you're not going to receive when you ask that way either. So he gives us the reason here with the because. In the book of Matthew chapter 13, the Lord Jesus Christ began speaking to the, to the multitudes in parables. Now, a lot of times people will tell you that the way to get somebody to understand something more clearly is to give them a parable. But when you study Matthew chapter 13, you will find Christ used parables for the opposite reason. He starts speaking in parables. And after he gives the parable of sowing of the seed, that some fell upon stony ground, some fell on you know, good grounds, uh, etc. There's four different kind of grounds there. The disciples asked him a question. They said, why speakest thou in parables? And the Lord said, for unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but unto them it is not given. Two verses later, he says, therefore I speak to them in parables, that it might be fulfilled what the prophet Isaiah said. And he's talking about Isaiah 6, 9. He said, for seeing they see not, hearing they hear not, and they do not understand. Why did they... Why could they not see, even though they saw, they didn't see, even though they heard, they didn't hear? Because God had placed a judicial blindness upon the nation of Israel in his day. Now, the reason for that is given to us in Matthew 15, when the Lord said, How well do you draw nigh to me with your lips, you honor me with your tongue, but your heart is far from me. The Lord knew the hearts of the Jewish people in that day were far from him. And therefore, he put a judicial blindness upon them that when he spoke and they heard, they heard the words, but yet they didn't already understand. Now, somebody said, well, I, I don't understand why he would do it. Well, I just told you why. <laughs> the because was in there, if you call it. Did you get the because in there? The because is in there. He says, because unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. Now, in Luke 12, 42, the Lord Jesus Christ said, or 32, he said, Fear not, little flock, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Lord gave a kingdom, his kingdom to a little flock. He didn't give it to a great host of people. He gave it to a little flock. Now, the word because helps explain a lot of those kind of things, doesn't it? The word because helps us understand why the Lord spoke in parables. He spoke in parables that the wise and the prudent wouldn't understand. Let's go to Matthew eleven twenty five, And the Lord Jesus Christ prays to his Father. He says, Father, I thank thee that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. Because, excuse me, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. And hast revealed them unto babes. There were some that God hid the truth concerning him, his person, his work, he hid the truth from them. 
And that's strange to a lot of people, but there it is. I just give it to you. The Lord actually thanked the Father for that. I thank you, Father, that thou hast hid these things, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. He spoke in parables that the multitudes would not understand. Not that he make it clearer. He spoke they would not understand. Then he took his disciples aside privately and expounded and explained what he was just saying. That word because helps explain a lot of things that's in the scripture. If you'll just pay attention to what follows that expression, because. In the book of Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and I want you to notice this is one of those verse, three, three verses of scripture here that just speaks volumes. It's got just a lot of doctrine just uh, packed right into it. When the fullness of the time was come, which simply means when the Old Testament scriptures concerning the Lord Jesus Christ were being fulfilled. You know, the prophet spoke about the coming of the Messiah, spoke about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it all came to pass, when he came into this world, those verses, those prophecies were fulfilled. He says, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that was under the law. Now notice this. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. The son of God came because the father sent him. He sent forth his son made of a woman. That's the virgin birth. Made under the law. The dispensation of the law was still in effect when Christ came into this world. He was made of a woman, made of the law to do what? To redeem them that was under the law. That's why he came. He came to redeem how many times have I made this statement? I don't know, but I'm going to make it one more time. If we can just determine from the Word of God what Christ came in the world to do, then we can determine exactly what Christ did. Because Isaiah 42, 4 says, He shall not fail, neither shall he become discouraged. If he shall not fail, then all we got to do is determine why he came, and we know exactly what he accomplished. So it says here, he was made of a woman, made of the law, to redeem them that was under the law. If he came to redeem them, I can assure you, redemption took place. I can assure you the redeeming price was paid. I can assure you that without a, without a question, without a doubt. In Matthew 1, 21, when the angel says unto Joseph, Fear not to take unto Mary to be thy wife, for that which conceived the furs of the Holy Ghost. Says, she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There's three shalls in there, three important shalls. And so we've just determined why Christ came to the world. He came to the world to save his people from their sins. If he came to save his people from their sins, I'm going to conclude he saved his people from their sins. And that's, that's the gospel. That's the good news in glad tidings. That's what separates truth from error. Christ never came to make people savable. He never came to open up the door of opportunity for people to be saved. He came to save his people from their sin. He came to redeem those that were under the law. Now listen to what else he says. And because you are sons, he has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. Why did he send forth the spirit of his son into your hearts? Because you are sons. Now I want you to notice... You were sons before the Spirit of God ever entered into your heart. You say, well, how, how can that be, Brother Lawrence? Because of what the Bible teaches on the doctrine of election. Before time ever began, before the foundation of the world, it pleased God to do what? To choose a people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people that no man could possibly number and give them to his son in a covenant relationship. You are covenant children. 
And God knows who every single child that he has, it belongs in that covenant relationship. So Paul says over here, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son into this world, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem that was under the law. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. God sent two things, did he not? He sent his son, and he sent the spirit of his son. If he hadn't sent his son, he never sent the spirit of his son. But he sent his son, and then he sent the spirit of his son into your hearts that enables you to cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba means father. So you cry, Father, Father. Now you might not say that out loud, but in your heart, in your soul, you're going to cry, Abba, Father, when the Spirit of God, when the divine nature of God is implanted in your heart and your soul in the work of regeneration, when you're born of the Spirit of God, that's what enables you to see yourself to be a sinner and to feel like that you have a hope in Jesus Christ. You understand that? <laughs> I hope you do. Now, in the book of 1 John, in verse 19, we quote this oftentimes for a reason. John says, we love him because, why? He first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. And then what's the evidence of that? If you go back to chapter 3, look at verse 14, the apostle John says, little children, we know we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Do you love the brother here this morning? Just take a look at the person sitting beside you. <laughs> Just take a look at the person in front of you, behind you. Do, you. do you love that individual? Really, do you love them? Well, why are you here this morning? You say, well, I'm here because I love Christ. Well, you're here because you love Christ. You ought to be here because you love the brother as well. He says, we know we have passed from something to something. We know we've passed from something called death to something that's called life. Think about that just for a moment. We know we have passed from death to life because we love the brother. That's one of the evidences of your sonship. That's one of the evidences that you belong to God. It's one of the evidences that you're one of God's children. You're one of his elect. You're one of his, you know, you belong to the bride of Christ because you love the brother. It's not a greater love that we can have toward people than a brotherly love right here in time. Now, the greatest love, of course, is the love that God showed us when he sent his son, naturally. All right, we know we've passed from death and life because we love the brethren. That's an evidence of your gracious state. In verse 16, he says, For hereby we perceive the love of God, that he sent forth his son to die for us, or to lay down his life for us, and therefore we ought to lay down our life for the brethren. Now, the word perceive means to, to discern. He says, hereby we perceive the love of God. Now, there's John 3.16, and here's 1 John 3.16, and they certainly are compatible and go together. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It shows the magnitude of the love of God. It shows uh, the, the extent. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. How many people do you know you would give your son for? I'll just ask the question. The Lord's blessed Karen and I with three sons and a daughter. And I'm telling you, I know of nobody in this world, no matter how much I think of you, that I'm going to give the life of one of them for you. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> Are you? But God did. God gave his only begotten son. 
that son that belongs to him in a unique way. That's what the word begotten means. He's a, the son of God in a unique manner, a unique way. And God so loved you, he gave, he gave, he gave his only begotten son. The magnitude of the love of God. Hereby we perceive the love of God. We perceive it, we understand it, we discern it, we comprehend it. Because God gave his only begotten son. And he gave him for us, Lord, to give ourselves or lay down our life for the brethren. Now, in the next chapter, in chapter 4, verse four, uh, 12, I believe it is, he says, here is the, is the love of God manifested. He's going to tell you something about the love of God in a little different way. Here is the fact that God, the love of God was manifested because <laughs> he gave his son. Again, he gave his son for us. Here's the cause of it. Here we see the manifestation of the love of God. When Christ came to this world, that was a manifestation of God's love. Why would he send his beloved son into this world? Why would he send his, his only begotten son? Why would he send his perfect son, his righteous son, his holy son, his sinless son into this world that had been with him in all eternity where they had fellowship together in heaven? Why would he send his son away from heaven into this world here? Because he had a people that he loved so greatly he was willing to send his son to lay his life down here on behalf of unworthy sinners. The because is here are very, very, very important. In the book of Romans chapter 5, you'll find where the apostle is writing to the church here and he says that hope, you know, tribulation worketh patience, patient experience, experience hope, and hope maketh not a shame because the love of God, because, here's your because, because the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts. You ever notice that it says the love of God is shed? The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts because the blood of Christ was shed for you on Calvary. Because of shed blood, there is shed love. That love is shed abroad in your hearts. All right, that's why hope maketh us not ashamed. Now, the next verse says, For we yet without strength, Christ died for us. That word, without, that phrase, without strength, means you were strengthless. Okay? It means you were impotent. That's what, literally what it means. Now, this is all connected to the story of Abraham that's brought to our attention in the latter part of Romans chapter 4. Now, in the latter part of Romans chapter 4, Paul's going to bring to your attention a man by the name of Abraham and his wife Sarah. And God, of course, we know he made a promise to Abraham and to Sarah they were going to have a child when they were very old and well-stricken in years. And it's going to happen when Sarah's 90 and Abraham's 100. This is some of my, my favorite language in the Bible right here. You come to that fourth chapter of Romans, it says that Abraham, being not weak in faith, being not weak in faith, which means he was strong in faith, he considered, he considered not his body now being dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. A wonderful lesson that for all of us, we walk by faith. There are some things we just cannot consider. Had Abraham considered the deadness of his wife's womb, Sarah, if he considered the deadness of his own body, it, it would have affected his life. It would have affected his decision. It would have affected his walk with God. But he didn't consider that because God made him a promise, and Abraham believed in God. Now, notice what, what on it says. He says, him being fully persuaded what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, he's going to come on down and tell you that 
These things were written not just for Abraham's sake, it was written for our sakes, for us to read that, understand that, and learn from that. Now, what are we going to learn? Because Abraham believed God, it was imputed unto him for righteousness, not eternally speaking, but right here in time. That leads to this statement here, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through him. This is what justification by faith is all about. Believing the word of God, believing what God has told us concerning his son. Abraham believed God. He didn't consider the circumstance. He considered his body. He considered the deadness of Sarah's womb. All he considered was God said, I'm going to have a child. I might as well paint in the room and buy the crib. And that's exactly what he did. All right. I want to say, as long as, you're, as long as somebody's alive, they might get so weak, they barely can lift a little finger. They might become so weak that they can't hardly close or open up an eyelid. But as long as there's life there, there is at least a degree of strength there. It may be so small you can't even notice it hardly, but there's a degree of strength. But when somebody dies, there's no strength whatsoever. She so said, why do you say that, Brother Lawrence? Because I want you to notice, back there we're talking about Abraham... He considered not his own body now being dead, which means there was no strength there. Nor the deadness of Sarah's womb means there was no strength there. So now we come right down here to Romans 5 and 6. He says, from when we were without strength. Our strength was exactly the same strength Abraham had, which was zero. Our strength is exactly the same strength that Abraham's wife Sarah had, which was zero. They were living, but Abraham's body was dead in terms of reproduction. His wife's womb was dead in terms of reproduction. They had no strength whatsoever. So Paul says, when we were yet without strength, we were strengthless, we were impotent. Christ died for us. Now, aren't you glad about that? <laughs> because, he gives you the reason why, because. He says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, someone even dare to die. But God committed his love toward us. Put it on display as an exhibit. God committed his love toward us. You know, John says it was manifested for us and we perceive his love. Now it says he committed his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, yet Christ died for us. For us. I'd encourage you to just a little, you want to do a little Bible study with me right here? And you can take it on a little further. Just take a look at the expression, for us. And see what God has done for us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he says, For we know that all things work together for good, and we love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. And both he did predestinate, or foreknow, he also did predestinate. Those he predestinated, then he also called, and then he called, he also justified, and justified, then he also glorified. What shall we say to these things then? If God be what? For us? Who can be against us? In verse 32, he says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for, for us. He's for us. He delivered Christ up for us. If Christ spared not his own son, and he did not, we've already gone over that. He did not spare his own son. He gave his only begotten son. If he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall, we not also, how shall, how shall he not also freely give us all things. Who is he that condemneth? Is Christ that died for us? Yea, that is risen for us? Who's on the right hand of God for us? And who maketh intercession for us? You know about somebody's done something for you and done something for me, he's done something for us. 
uh, we could be spend the rest of the day here on this. So you just go and look up for us and see what all he's done for us, okay? The list is very lengthy. And even right now, what's he doing for us? He said, well, he did that 2,000 years ago. What's he doing for us now? Go to Hebrews 9, 24. And he'll tell you, he's, he's in heaven now to appear in the presence of God for us. Right now, he's in heaven to appear in the presence of God. Why? For us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I'm here this morning for what God has done for me. What God has done for us. That little expression, because, will unlock a lot of things if you just pay attention to it when you're reading the scripture and you come across the word because and you're going to come across it over 300 times in the New Testament alone. Then pause just for a second or two and be sure you read what comes after the word because. Now let's, let's go over here in a more practical sense. In the book of Daniel, again, chapter 6, Daniel is put into a den of lions because he will not compromise. Daniel is put into a den of lions because he's not going to willingly, knowingly disobey the law of God. He's going to be put into a den of lions because this is the only place that his enemies could find fault with him. They couldn't find fault with his administration, you know, in the kingdom there. Couldn't find any fault with that, so they will have to find fault with him concerning him and his God. So that's when they come to the king and they get the king to write a decree, establish a decree that for 30 days nobody was to, uh, you know, uh, acknowledge any other God except him, bow to any other God except him. And the Bible says when Daniel knew the writing had been signed, he didn't do this not knowing, he did it knowingly. He opened the windows of where he stayed in his house toward Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day. And his enemies were watching him and saw that, and they couldn't be happier. And they come to the king, and they reported Daniel to the king. And the king, who loved Daniel, who understood the, the benefit of Daniel and the blessing that Daniel was unto him, tried his best all day long to see what he could do to reverse that. But they kept reminding him any law of the king of the Medes and Persians that was established, it could not be reversed. The king then put him into a den of lions. So we come to that verse. Daniel was delivered from the den of lions because, why? He believed in his God. Now I know God delivered him because he had more work to do and God delivered him to show his power and to bring honor and praise and glory to his name. That's what he did with Pharaoh. When you read over there in Romans chapter 9, verse uh, about verse 23, he says, For this cause, here's the cause, For this cause I raise thee up, that my name might, that I might show my power in thee. Now notice this, he didn't say I might show my power to thee. Oh, oh Pharaoh saw his power. <laughs> no, but he didn't say I might show my power to thee. He said I raised him up and I might show my power in thee. Pharaoh was the most powerful man upon the face of this earth, but he was nothing compared to God. And God showed it. God continued to harden the heart, and it was already hard by nature. He kept not letting his people go till he finally came to the tenth and final play, the death of the firstborn. And when that happened, the blood of the lamb was slain and put on the side post of the lintel, and God passed over. And where he saw the blood, he passed over. 
and all the firstborn of the Israelites were spared, and all the firstborn of the Egyptians were slain. Wonder just how many lambs were slain that night. When they came out of Egypt, it's estimated they were a million plus. Wonder how many lambs were slain, how many innocent lambs were slain that the firstborn of all the Israelites might be spared. I have no idea. I have no idea. But I know it's a lot. How many lambs do you think was slain? But I'm going to ask you another question. How many lambs do you think was slain to redeem a people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people on the face of this earth? One. <laughs> the lamb. The lamb of God. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul tells the church there to purge out the old leaven. He says, for you a new leaven, purge out the old leaven, even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. For us, there's you for us again. I'm glad I got that one. <laughs> he sacrificed what? For us. He's the Passover lamb. One lamb. The blood of one lamb was adequate. The blood of one lamb was sufficient. The blood of one lamb redeemed us. The blood of one lamb justified us. The blood of one lamb saved us. The blood of one lamb reconciled us. The blood of one lamb paid the price. The blood of one lamb paid the ransom price. He's a propitiation for our sins. The blood of one lamb. How many lambs do you think were slain in the land of Egypt to strike the side posts and lentils so when God passed through at midnight, they'd be spared? Have no idea. Have no idea. It's unbelievable how many lambs, no doubt, were slain for that to take place. But I'm here to tell you this morning uh, about one lamb. One lamb whose blood was shed. And God is going to pass over. At the end of time, God will pass over because he's going to see the blood. He's going to see the blood of his lamb. He's going to see the blood of his son. He's going to see the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God he will pass over because if he did not do that and we got what we deserve, we know where we're going. Oh, it kind of reminds me of the, you know, the man that uh, before he died, he told his wife, I'm going to put my most valuable things in this, this bag here. And he says, now, when I, I'm going to grab it on my way up. I'm going to put it in the attic and grab it on my way up when I die. She went up there after he died. It was still there. She said, maybe I should have put it in the basement. <laughs> the blood of the lamb was slain. How many lambs were slain in the land of Egypt? I have no idea. But I know how much blood was shed of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, how much blood was shed for the salvation of God's people by the Lord Jesus Christ. All his blood. He's our Passover. This word because is an important word. You're going to read over 300 times in the New Testament. And when you read that word because, just keep reading. Don't stop. But you pay attention. You see that word because, it's going to show you some things. And when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and his life, in the book of Acts 2, 23 and 24, the apostle Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. He says for... Uh, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, and you have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. But he said, but God had raised him from the dead because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. And that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, too. It was not possible that death should hold him. 
Did you get that? Do you know what those uh, people did? Those soldiers and all that came to Pilate after Christ was crucified, after he was taken down off the cross and put into Joseph Arimathea's tomb? You know what? They came to Pilate and they said, you know, while he was here, uh, he said in three days uh, he'd be raised again unless the disciples come and steal him away. We want to have your authority whereby we can seal the tomb and make it sure. And Pilate says, make it sure as you can. That kind of shows limitation, doesn't it? Make it as sure as you can. So they did. They made it sure as they could. It wasn't sure enough, was it? When I compare the sure things of men to the sure things of God, <laughs> he makes me feel good. When I see how unsure world we live in, when I see how unsure that I am about things, when I read about the unsure things of man, make it sure as you can. They couldn't make it sure enough to, to keep him in there. I like to think about Christ being something that's sure. He's our surety. In the book of Hebrews, he is our surety. You know what surety means? It means that you stand in the place of somebody else. That means you're willing to take on the debt of somebody else. That means you're willing to sign your name to the dotted line. And you're saying, if something happens and he can't pay it, I'll stand in his place. I'll pay it for him. So the Lord Jesus Christ came and he stood in our place. He knew it wasn't even a possibility we could pay the debt ourselves. He came as our surety. He came as a surety for the payment that our sins would be removed, our sins would be remitted. He's our surety, surety. The foundation of God standing sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. How sure is that? I'm telling you, you can't get any more sure than that. Isaiah spoke about him as a stone. He says, I lay in Zion for a stone, a precious stone, a cornerstone, what? For a sure foundation. Things are sure with God. When Christ is describing the priesthood in the book of Hebrews and comparing the Levitical priesthood with the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to Hebrews chapter 7, and he speaks about how those priests in the Old Testament day of the, of the tribe of Levi, they kept changing and changing and changing. You know why they kept changing? Because they kept dying. <laughs> Man has had a habit of dying since the beginning of time. Do you know that? Since Adam transgressed God's law, man's had a habit of dying. And I don't know but two that had escaped it. And that was Enoch and Elijah. There's going to be some more. When the Lord comes, uh, he's going to translate some. But up to this moment, only two have escaped it. Man's made a habit of dying since the very beginning. They had to have one priest after one priest after another priest and another priest because they kept on dying all the time until Christ came. He says, because this man continueth forever, he hath an unchangeable priesthood. His priesthood didn't change. Why? Because he continueth forever. He continueth forever. Wherefore, he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. See, and he ever liveth to make intercession for us. You get the evers, evers, and evers and all that? He continues forever. He's able to save you to the uttermost because he makes intercession for you. That's another one of my favorite verses. In fact, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, and I'm forgetting right off the top of my head, I think it's about 800 and some thousand verses, and I guess at one time or another, they've all been my favorite. <laughs> what makes a verse your favorite verse? 
When it just comes along at a certain time in your experience of life, that's when it becomes your favorite verse. There are verses, my favorite verses years ago, not my favorite verses now. And verses years ago, it won't my favorite verses, my favorite verses now. Because I have uh, experienced a little bit of a change in my 30 or 40 years of life. I've experienced a little bit of change along life's pathway. And as I continue to change, and I continue to experience one thing after another, as long as I keep reading God's Word, I'm going to find more favorite verses along the way. Now, Daniel, he was living out of the den of lions because he believed in his God. I preached on Rahab a few weeks ago. I want to go back to something said about her. Three different times it said about her. We're going to find when they went in there and they took the city of Jericho that Joshua gave a command that the house of Rahab that was identified by the scarlet cord that was hung out the window. Remember the spies said now when she let them out uh, out, out the window with that scarlet cord, uh, they gave her three things that she was supposed to do. She was not supposed to tell anybody about any of that. She's supposed to get all her family in that house and she's supposed to hang out that scarlet cord on the outside as a means of identification. Joshua says, you, don't, you do not, he says, you spare the life of Rahab because she hid the messengers. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, Rahab perished not with those that believed not because she hid the, hid the messengers with peace. And in James chapter 2, she's given as an example of justification by works. Why? Because she hid the messengers. Three different times we're told she hid the messengers. Joshua said, because she hid the messengers, her life would be spared. Because she hid the messengers. And so, brother, there's a lot of things that are in, in life that we can be spared from, and a lot of things that we can enjoy in life if we pay attention to some of the becauses in the Word of God. In Hebrews 11 and 11, we're going to be told something about Sarah that you will not know if you don't read Hebrews chapter 11. When I read about Sarah's life in the book of Genesis, when God's revealing unto Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a child, I find that Sarah is behind the door, but she can hear. She's behind the door, but she can hear, and she can hear the conversation between God and Abraham. And when she hears what God says unto Abraham about her conceiving, bringing forth a son, and she knows her body is dead, the Bible says she laughed. And God called her on the carpet for it. She says, you know, she didn't want to admit it. The Lord says, oh, oh, you laughed all right. You know, there's no need to try to hide anything from God. It just doesn't work, does it? <laughs> you get behind uh, the closed doors. You get down under your bed. Uh, you can hide. I don't care where you try to hide. There's no place you can hide that God cannot see. But I come to Hebrews 11. Here's what it said about Sarah. By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed and brought forth a son, brought forth a child when she was past age of bearing because she judged him faithful who had promised. Do you judge him faithful this morning who's promised? Are you willing to have the messengers when the time comes? Are you willing to go into the den of lions because you believe in your God? Abraham, uh, Daniel was. Rahab risked her life. 
her life was good as gone if they found out what she did. Do you know that? I mean, her case is just about like that in Daniel in the den of flies and Hebrew children in the fire furnace. Her life was sure as gone if somebody revealed that she hid those messengers and she was willing to do it and she said she did it with peace. Where could she get such peace as that if it didn't come from God? That's why Paul speaks about a peace that passeth all understanding. Have you ever had a peace that you couldn't understand why you had such peace? When you knew the circumstances surrounding you and the circumstances you were involved in demanded that you have no peace? Have you? Think about it. Have you ever found yourself facing things in this life when you knew the circumstances would demand that you should have not one degree of peace and yet you had total peace that came upon you it was a peace that passeth all understanding. I've had a few experiences like that along life's pathway. I sure have. I believe you have. That's something to be thankful for, isn't it? She hid the messengers with peace. Daniel believed in his God. That's why he was delivered out of the den of lions. Rahab and her family were spared because she hid the messengers because I believe that we have the greatest cause on earth to try to, to defend and to, and to proclaim and declare concerning God's sovereign grace I, I tell you it's, it's just uh, it's just a privilege it's just it's a wonderful blessing for me to be able to have the opportunity I, I thank you so much for your love and your, your faithfulness and, and your prayers and your encouragement um, because I, I have such a, a wonderful blessing of being able to declare, proclaim the sovereign riches of God's sovereign grace, that God is a God of all power. He's omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, that he came in this world to save you from your sins, and he saved you. He watches over you in this great providential care. He cares for us, therefore we should cast all of our care upon him. What a precious verse that is. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And be able to just try to tell you that on some kind of regular basis of what a blessing it is for me. Uh, I, I, I just can't thank God <laughs> enough for it. And I, I just want you to know that I, I love the Lord and I love you. And I want you to know more and more about him. I want you to fall in love with him. I want you to put your arms around him. I want you to hug him. I want you to embrace him. I want you to know the truth and sell it not. I want you to hold so tight to him. I'm telling you, Satan of all his uh, ungodly angels, my friend, could never open your arms and separate you from him. You say, why? Because. I'll close this morning with this. Have you ever asked somebody why they were doing something and they said, because? And you said, because why? And they said, well, just because. You ever said that or heard that said to you? I have many a time. That's just not satisfactory, is it? Well, I didn't give you one verse here this morning, did I? And I can tell you there's over 1,200 of them in the Bible. Lord, because, and you're never going to find any time where it says, well, just because. <laughs> and just because. God doesn't operate that way. If God says because, he's going to give you a because. He's going to follow it. And so, you know, when you say because, just because, that's because you don't have a good answer. That's, that's the only reason you say just because. <laughs> but I gave you some good answers here this morning. Not my answer. I gave you the answers of God. I believe I trust. Thank you so much for your wonderful attention.